have you ever heard of the phrase, wanted, dead or alive? And maybe you are uh, immediately just uh, transported back to John Wayne movies, you know, or the wild, wild west. You know, for those of you who are like, who's John Wayne? Shame on you. Google him later. But usually when you hear such a statement, uh, you, you think of the Wild West Wanted poster. And you naturally think that dead or alive means one or the other. It means you're either dead or you're either alive. But today, as we start our brand new series in Romans chapter 6, for the Christian it means both. Both. You think, well, aren't they mutually exclusive? Dead or alive? You're either dead or you're alive. Well, we're going to look at this morning a really, really exciting and important part of what we believe as Christians. And we'll see two words that seem to be mutually exclusive are very compatible in the life of the follower of Jesus. And that's what's so exciting. You'll read these things and your mind will just be expanded. Your understanding will broaden. And you'll understand why we believe the things that we believe is it because some random guy made up these things and decided this is what it was supposed to be or is it found in God's word I guarantee you if you base your life upon what God's word says you will never go wrong and you will never wonder if this has authority or not in your life because God is the authority and if he has written his word then his word is the authority now last week we concluded our series gems In Romans 5, in last week's study, you remember, we saw all for one and one for all, right? Way before there was the three musketeers, meaning that mankind paid for one man Adam's sin and how one man Jesus paid for all mankind's sin. And last week... Paul drove home the point of God's grace covering sin. Because we'll come to church, and sometimes people will not even come to church because they feel guilty. They feel dirty. They feel shameful. They feel like they don't belong in church because of the way that they've lived or the things that they have done or the mistakes that they've made. Whatever the case may be, the reality is is that people feel that way. But Paul drove home the point saying that where your sin was rampant, God's grace overflowed that sin. And that there was more than enough of God's grace to cover all sin. All sin. And so that's why, you know, last week we're like, man, what in the world? This is amazing. It absolutely is. And most people don't realize that it is found in the Bible. They think that God is out to smite them, to strike them, to destroy them. That God hates them and that He created them for hell. And there could not be anything more more further from the truth. I mean, the, the Lord created people to know Him personally and to have a relationship with Him. And so, for all the people that you know that don't know Jesus personally, you can tell them, if you've sinned, join the club. We all have. If you feel like God doesn't love you, realize that that's something that Satan's trying to trick you to believe. Because if you understood the truth, you would understand that God does love you, even knowing everything about you. And you might even tell your friend, that must be a lot of love because I know you. And that's something that doesn't change, you know, God's heart towards you. Yet, when people hear something like, the more the sin, the more the grace, Paul preemptively presents and answers a question that we'll look at as we begin in Romans chapter 6. And this morning, I have just two points. Usually we kind of get three points, but today's two. Two covers it. Point number one, 
is dead to sin. Dead to sin. And Paul opens up in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Remember, this is coming on the hills of God's grace and He covers sin. And it's more than your sin and it's more than enough. And he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Hey, if grace abounds where there is sin, then why not sin that more of God's amazing grace might be showered down upon us? Listen, once we profess Christ as our Lord and Savior, shall we just continue living in sin, knowing that God's grace covers a multitude of sin? Hey, I got my ticket punched. I, you know, prayed that prayer and I came forward at that event. And so, you know, I'm good to go. Basically, I just opened up a tab in God's bar, so to speak, and now I can just do whatever I want. And hey, just put that on Jesus' tab. Now that I'm a Christian... Now that I'm a quote-unquote follower of Jesus, I can just keep sinning because God's grace is more than my sin. Now, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? And the word continue in the Greek actually means this. Stay with. Remain in. Persevere in. Still dwell in. So once I put my faith in Christ, shall I stay with my sin? Once I have put my faith in Jesus, shall I remain in my sinful lifestyle and persevere in my sin that God's grace may abound? And this is a rhetorical question here, but it demands us to address what is implied here. When I put my faith in Jesus, it requires repentance, which is turning from my sin. I cannot follow my Savior and my sin simultaneously. I have to pick one or the other. Now, though this may be a familiar concept for some of us, for others, it may be something that maybe you've never heard before. For me to continue in my sin defeats the point of the very reason I came to Jesus. Because of my sin. You guys get that? It totally, it it doesn't make sense. Like I came to Jesus because of my sin. Because my sin leads to death and my sin separates me from, from the Lord. And so I come to Jesus to remove that separation. To remove that penalty. So shall I continue in my sin as I am saying I am following Jesus? It defeats the purpose. In Matthew chapter 3 verse 8. John the Baptist, if you remember him, I don't know if you remember him, but everybody knows what he looks like. Every Jesus movie that's ever been made, oh yeah, he's the crazy guy. You just pick John the Baptist out of the crowd. He always has wild hair and bulging eyes, and he's just the guy that kind of saliva on his beard, and you're like, oh, John the Baptist right there. You know, I don't know why that is, but anyway, he said to the people that were listening, he said, therefore you guys bear fruits worthy of repentance. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. John the Baptist was sharing the things that I just read in Matthew chapter 3 while he was in the desert. And what a picturesque place to be talking about trees bearing fruit. Now, we have the Santa Ana winds blowing outside and it's gotten hot. I mean, what in the world? I mean, it's February 
and it feels like, I mean, was it 80 yesterday? It was so crazy because we're up in the mountains and it's snowing and we drive down the hill. The literally, literally, we got to the bottom, the base of the mountain and the, the thermostat's at 80 degrees. And I'm like, what in the world? It's, it's February. But as you're looking at the Judean wilderness and, and it's just, it's, it's a, an arid uh, desert climate. And there he is telling the people that are listening to him as he's baptizing in the Jordan, and there's just desert everywhere. You know, it's not like you go out to, uh, let's go to the desert to go pick a plum off the plum tree. You know, they just don't grow. And so he's telling these people, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And the people were probably looking around, seeing the trees with no water and no fruit and no life. And little did they know that that was a representation of their lives spiritually. Not bearing fruits worthy of repentance. What does that mean? What is repentance? Turning from my sin. What comes out of my life when I turn from my sin are fruits of the Spirit. No spiritual sustenance. Bearing no spiritual fruit. Having no spiritual life. In order to bear fruits worthy of repentance, you have to uproot yourself out of sin and plant yourself in the Lord. You cannot bear fruit of the Spirit unless you uproot yourself out of sin and you plant yourself in the Lord. Turn from sin. Repent from sin. And what are the fruits of of this repentance? Well, it's found in Galatians 5. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So Paul says, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall I stay with sin, remain in sin, persevere in my sin, or still dwell in my sin? Because God will forgive me. God will forgive me. And maybe you've been thinking that sort of thing. Well, I know this is wrong, but I'll ask for forgiveness afterwards. Or, you know, I'll do it this time knowing God will forgive me. And you preemptively will sin. It's not even, oh, I fell into temptation or I made a mistake. You choose and you'll rest on this misconception of God's grace will cover my sin, so may I just continue sinning. The real question we should be asking ourselves this morning, and I think this is important for churches across the country, Like literally, think about this. The real question we should ask is, if I am filled with the Holy Spirit, why would I want to continue in my sin? If I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, why would I want to continue living the lifestyle that Jesus has saved me from? Do I continue in sin that grace may continue? Paul says in verse 2, certainly not. No way, Jose. No. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And that is a great question. How shall we who died to sin continue living any longer in it? Let me give you an example. Maybe it will help broaden what we're talking about here this morning. Say you have a falling out with someone. Okay? And I don't know what happened, but for some reason, 
you had some arguments, some disagreements, something happened, you had a falling out. And it wasn't just a little falling out, you had a major falling out. And let's just say that this person who you had a falling out with, her name's Joan, okay? This has no implications on anybody that's here, and just say for instance. Maybe you would say, man, I'm dead to Joan. I had this falling out with Joan, and I'm dead to her. And I think we'd all understand what that means. Now let's replace the name Joan with sin. When you came to Jesus, you had a major falling out with sin. You became dead to sin. In Galatians 2.20 from the New Living Translation, it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's how it works. I've become dead to sin. We had a falling out. We're not in contact. We don't communicate. Nothing. I am dead to that. Or do you not know, verse 3, Romans 6, that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. Therefore, verse 4, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, baptism is the word that he is using to describe what is happening in our lives spiritually. Some people will say that this is in reference to water baptism, and you're not with Christ unless you're baptized, and there's some churches today such as the Church of Christ, that will teach that you're not saved unless you're baptized. And if you ever come across anybody that says you're not saved unless you're baptized, then ask ask them this one simple question. And this has been something that's really helped me be able to share with people the truth about what God's Word says. Present them this scenario. A guy realizes his sin, he repents of that sin, and he puts his faith in Jesus. And on the way to the baptism, he gets in a car accident and he dies. Where does that person go? Jesus alone saves. He saves you through your faith in him. Faith in Jesus saves. Baptism is one of those things that we're commanded and encouraged to do. You should be baptized. It's a public profession of faith. And we'll get to what that symbolizes in just a moment. But Paul is using this imagery. The people that he's writing to would understand the immersion being completely covered. And this is what he's saying here. Because back in Romans chapter 3-5, through we looked at substitution. You know, Jesus died for me. But beginning here, in Romans 6, we look at identification. Where it's like, I died with Jesus. First it was substitution. Jesus died for me. And now we're segueing into, I'm identifying with Jesus. I died with Jesus. And when He died, I died. When He arose, I arose in Him. And because of these truths, the believer has a totally different relationship to sin. And Paul uses the terms of baptism and resurrection, the identifying with the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That I, as Jesus was crucified there on the cross, and He died, paying the price for the sins of the world, He took my spot. So that means that my old self, my sinful nature, has been crucified with Christ. And then as he was laid in the tomb, I am now buried. That old man was buried with Christ. 
And then even as the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, so I have now been raised into a new life, and that is my identification. That is how I see myself. That's how I view myself, because that's how the Word of God tells us that we are to be, because that's the way that it is. I am filled with the Spirit. I am a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, all has been made new. I mean, talk about a restart. It's a new life, a new beginning. That was the old me buried with Christ, and it's the new me raised with Him. In verse 5, For if we've been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Now, there's something really cool in verse 5 that I want you to take note of. In the New King James Version, which is what I teach from on Sundays, uh, in verse 5 it says, united together. If you have a little pencil or a pen, you know, underline united together. And if you can reach over to the person next to you, underline it for them in their Bible as well. And it says, united together in the likeness of his death. This word united together I found absolutely fascinating. In the Greek language, coupled together literally means congenital or implanted by birth. You think, wow, that's great. What does that mean? Well, the phrase united together is the only time in the entire Bible that that phrase is used. Right here in Romans 6, verse 5. Jesus told Nicodemus, remember in John chapter 3, the ruler of the Jews, he came to Jesus by night saying, what shall a man do to be saved? And Jesus told him, you must be born again. Now, listen to this. You are united together with Christ when you are born again. For if you've been united together, this is speaking of a birth. This is something implanted by birth, this this union with the Lord. So you are united together with Christ when you are born. And the union that takes place is one of your sinful nature being crucified with Christ, buried with Jesus, and raised into new life with Him. All happens with this born again. Some people will say, you know, hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those born agains. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Jesus said, you must be born again. Not some pastor. A pastor didn't say, hey, you need to be born again. No, Jesus said, you must be born again. And people are like, well, naturally, how in the world am I going to be born again? I'm a full-grown adult. I don't think I can go back and start that process over. And he's like, I'm not talking about that, Jesus would say. He said, don't you know anything? That's what he says to, to Nicodemus, man. Don't you understand this? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so though we are born physically alive, we're born dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And so when we're made alive spiritually, that's what it's called to be born again. And so if you say this morning, I'm a Christian, but I'm not a born again, then you need to understand that you are not a Christian unless you are born again. You are not made alive spiritually unless you are born again. And so this union, if we've been united together in verse 5, 
It says, uh, uh, you, you know, this union united together, which in the King James Version, by the way, uh, takes this phrase united together and is translated planted together, which is amazing as well because I think this is really cool. You know, speaking of, of this union with the Lord and identifying with his death and his burial and his resurrection. And then, and then this thing that talks about new life and new birth and me being joined to Jesus. If we use the phrase planted together listen to what first corinthians fifteen thirty six says when you put a seed into the ground it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first that the seed which contains all the dna and everything for that plant the seed will die and life will break forth and so you bury the seed in the ground the seed dies and life comes out of it Jesus said in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So in Romans 6, verse 5, when he says you have been united together, you have been joined together as a new birth or something that is from birth. You have been planted. You have been interwoven with Christ. What a picture this is as we look at Romans and identifying with Jesus. Knowing, verse 6, that our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now, slaves of sin, that might sound pretty harsh. Maybe you would think, well, that would be the description for addicts or murderers or the like. Well, Jesus said in John 8, 34, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Oh, it was just a white lie. You're a slave of sin. I took a pencil that wasn't mine. You stole. You're a slave of sin. The person that sins is a slave to sin because you are controlled by sin and unless you have the power of the Holy Spirit you will be living all of your days under the control of sin. But see, our old man was crucified with Jesus that the body of sin might be done away with. I love that phrase. Those three words, done away with, I love it. It's actually from a Greek word that's katargeo which means Literally, to put out of business. Destroyed, or literally put out of business. And you could even read it like this. Knowing this, verse 6, if you look at verse 6, and let me read it to you with that translation. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that's Jesus, that the body of sin might be put out of business, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. I don't work for that company any longer. They went out of business. I don't work for sin anymore. They went bankrupt. And in verse 7, Romans 6, it says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. John 8.36, Jesus said, Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. This is you. This is me as followers of Jesus. This is what it's all about. My old man's dead. That's the old me. The life that was resurrected, I'm connected with Jesus. To I'm connected with Him. 
I have been born again. I have been made alive. In verse 8, it says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. And if we died with Christ, and Christ dies no more, then that means we die no more. This life will soon be past, and we'll breathe our last breath, and that's it. We'll spend eternity in heaven. You know, for the Christian, this world is as close to hell as you will ever get. For the unbeliever, this is unfortunately the close to heaven as you will ever be. Some people think, well, it's heaven down here on earth. You've got to be kidding me. You see the things that are happening in this world? It'd be like, turn your glass eye around. Check it out. This is what's happening. The world is getting worse and worse and worse. And if you think that this is the best it's going to be, man, I would be depressed. But this isn't it. We have a hope. We have a hope found in Jesus. And if He rose from the grave, we rise from the grave. And if He conquered sin, we conquered sin. And if He conquered death, we conquered death because we're joined to Him. This is what it's saying. This is absolutely unbelievable. But yet it's true because it's found in God's Word. Jesus paid the one price one time, once and for all. Death no longer has dominion over Jesus and it has no longer dominion over us because here's the, here's the deal. We will die one day on this earth and we'll stand before God. And if we have put our faith in Jesus, we will be granted access into heaven. If we did not, then we will be rejected from that access and then what is called the second death, which is being separated eternally from God in a place that was created not for man, but for Satan and his angels, a place called hell. It's a very real place, and that is called the second death. We don't have to fear that death because Jesus died, he rose again, he conquered sin, he conquered death, and we're connected to him through our faith in him. For the death he died, verse 10, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. And again, Jesus paid the one price one time, once and for all. And if Jesus paid the price once and for all, then that means that my price for sin is paid once and for all. The life that Jesus lives, he lives unto God, it says at the end of verse 10. And what should that statement say to us about how we should be living our lives? In verse 10, it says he lives to God And so I say, and I choose, and I hope that you do as well, that if Jesus lives his life unto God and we're united with him, then we should be living our lives unto God as well. Which leaves one point left, point number two. We just saw dead to sin, and now we see alive to God. Verse 11, therefore... Excuse me, likewise, you also recognize, excuse me, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. My pastor, Chuck Smith, who's gone home to be with the Lord, he used to sing this song at all the men's conferences and all this stuff. He used to say, Love God, hate sin, reckon the old man to be dead. Reckon the old man dead. And this is where he got that from. That word reckon in the Greek literally means to put to one's account. 
The translation of that word used 41 times in the New Testament and is found 19 times in Romans alone literally is an accounting term. You put to your account dead to sin, alive to God. You put to your account dead to sin, alive to God. So if you're working on that ledger, you know what, for me, I didn't like accounting very much in college. It was one of those things I had to really work hard at. Some people are great with that kind of stuff. You have a working knowledge of it. You know, QuickBooks and all that kind of thing. But I understand this very, very, very clearly. You put to your account dead to sin, alive to God. Therefore, verse 12, do not encircle the word let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Therefore, we look back, what have we been talking about, man? Jesus paid the price once and for all. I've been united with him in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. I have been born again, made alive. I am a new creation in Christ. If Jesus was raised, I was raised. If Jesus conquered death, I conquered death. If Jesus conquered sin, I've conquered sin because of Jesus in me. And he says, therefore, because of all of these things that you just heard, Because you've repented. You've turned from your sin. God has given you the power to overcome sin that you can say no. He says, do not let. Do not let sin reign. Do not let sin reign in your body that you should obey it in its lusts. If you're dead to sin and alive to God, you have the power over sin. And the power over sin is only available to the believer, the man or woman who has personal faith in Jesus. See, Satan, slave driver. Remember, a slave to sin? He was the slave driver. And as a person who sins, we became a slave to sin, as Jesus said. Now, it's not the common practice of an employee to tell their bosses no. I mean, you're probably not going to be working for that company, you know, if your boss says, hey, can you have this print, you know, this, this paper printed out for me by Friday? And you're like, no. Hey can, you, hey, can you go over there and just, hey, grab me a cup of water, will you please? Get your own water. You know, you're probably not going to be with that company for very long. Hey, can you take a, take a look at this deposition? Look at your own deposition. You know, it's like, you, you, you just, it's just not the way that it works, right? It would be unheard of for a slave to tell his master, no. But when we became united with Jesus, we immediately became dead to sin and alive in Christ. And we now had the power to tell Satan and the lusts of the flesh, No. I don't have to do that. You are not my boss. You are out of business. Remember, having done away with means to put out of business. Sin has been put out of business in my life because I have been joined with Christ. I am dead to sin. I'm alive to Christ. So for sin to reign in the life of the believer is a direct result of the believer letting sin be in that position. It's not more powerful than you. The desire that you might have for sin is not more powerful than the power to crush that desire for that sin that God has given you. Satan would love nothing more than for you to believe that you are weak and that you are incapable 
of overcoming sin, but he has already been defeated. Can you imagine the loser tricking the winners into thinking that they're the losers? We need to wake up and understand the power that we have in Jesus our Lord. We're dead to sin. Now, I grew up in Huntington Beach, went to high school at Ocean View High, played basketball there, but I used to surf the north side of the pier all the time. I loved it. And I used to ride my bike there at my little beach cruiser, put my board on my bike, and I would just ride up, surf, didn't have to look for parking, you know, put it on the bike rack, lock it up, go surf for a couple hours. And right there on Main Street, you know, there's HSS and Jack's and Fred's up there and all this place, you know. But they didn't let you skateboard on Main Street. It was like you get arrested, and they really cracked down on it too. It's like, why can't I skateboard around here? It was like there's shops and people don't want skateboarding. You know, uh, when people are walking around and, and eating and shopping. And let's just say, you know, you're a true, you know, diehard, you know, skater or, or die kind of guy. And so you decide you're going to climb up on top of, of, of Fred's up there and you're going to have a huge ramp and then you're just going to launch yourself off onto PCH, right? And you're going to try to launch over PCH, land on the pier. But you launch off and as you're grabbing the rail of your board, you're like, skateboarding's not a crime. And then you hit the PCH, land on your head, kill yourself, you're dead. Done. People try to poke at you, and you're not moving. The police try to give you a ticket, but you're dead. They can't do anything to you. You're dead to them. Whatever they try to do, unresponsive, dead to sin. Dead to sin. Spiritually, when I'm dead to sin, they poke, jab. No, I'm sorry, I'm dead to sin. I've been crucified with Christ. The life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm dead to that sin. I'm alive to Christ. And for sin to reign, I am actually letting, I am allowing sin to be in a position of authority when it has no right to be there. In verse 13, as we conclude here, it says, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. This is how you're to identify with Christ. I'm alive from the dead. Though I was dead in sin, I'm alive in Christ. I'm now dead to sin and remain living in Christ. Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Members. Do not present any member of your body as a tool for unrighteous living unto sin. Do not yield any part of your body to sin for sin. But yield yourself to God and your body as a conduit of righteousness unto God. Because if Jesus is living unto God, I'm connected with him, that's how I live. If I'm connected with Christ, I'm dead to sin. Death has no more dominion. Sin has no more reign. I'm alive to Jesus. This is how I'm to identify myself. This is how I'm to see myself because this is how I am in the sight of God. It says in verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. If we were under the law, we would be condemned, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. But because we are under God's grace, we find forgiveness and freedom from sin. And so this morning, if you're struggling with sin, and listen, we all battle with things, but you need to recognize that somehow, some way, Satan has gotten a stronghold in your life. 
And there's areas that you are getting controlled with. This is not the way that God has intended it to be, and you are greater than that, and now it's time for you to rip that stronghold out of your life and to destroy it with the power of the Holy Spirit. You do not need to let sin control your life. You can change because God in you is greater than your sin, and you've been buried with Christ, and you've been made alive with Him. I've been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. Do you see yourself like that? Or do you see yourself as, yeah, you know, that's just the kind of the way that I am. No, that's called carnality. That's called worldliness. And if I'm filled with the Spirit, and if I've been born again, why would I even want to continue in the very thing that I came to God because of? Because I experienced the loneliness and the emptiness and the pain and the heartache. I experienced the addictions and the pressure and the never-ending menagerie that just spiraled downward and downward and downward of sin. And that's why I came to the Lord. So why would I want anything of that? So you'll have people say, hey man, I'm a Christian. But if they're living after the lust of the flesh, you'll know them by your fruit. That's why John said again, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And the only way I bear fruits of the Spirit is uprooting myself out of sin and planting myself in the Lord. This union, joined together, the Spirit of the living God living inside of you. How shall I continue doing these sinful things when the Holy Spirit is living inside of me? So what shall we say then? Verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? We all say unanimously, certainly not. For how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, that though our sins have separated us from you, Lord, we have been now forgiven and set free. Lord, we thank you, God, that we have the power over sin and over death. So may we see ourselves as that, Lord, identify with that, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Lord, we have this union. We've been united with him. He is the vine. We are the branches. Our old life has been buried and done away with, and now life has come forth. And I pray, Lord, that we would walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And Lord, I pray for any that are here this morning or that are watching this online, Lord, that if they are battling with things of the Spirit, may they understand they are letting it. They are letting it. Maybe they're crying out, I don't want to do this anymore, and I found that you know I've let go of it, but it's actually holding me. Lord, I pray that you would set them free completely, and may they recognize that this is a spiritual battle, but their weapons, Lord, for tearing down these strongholds and for fighting this battle, they're not physical, they're spiritual weapons, and I pray that they would exercise the Spirit through the reading and study of your Word through prayer. And Lord, maybe you're even calling people to fast, Lord, and to... And to, Lord, go without eating and to replace that time of eating physical food with being fed spiritually. Lord, I pray, God, that you would show your people exactly what it is that they need to do. And I thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven us and cleansed us. I thank you, Lord, that your word says, if you confess your sin to God, he's faithful and he's just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
So I pray, Lord, today that you would help us not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies. That we would not present any of who we are, whether it's our intellect, Lord, whether it's our bodies, Lord, that we would not present anything as an instrument of unrighteousness, Lord, but that we would live as Jesus unto you. And so, Lord, I even ask now, God, what, a, what an amazing thing to be able to study this morning on Communion Sunday as we remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. Lord, even as we were talking about this baptism, Lord, being buried in Christ and raised anew, Lord, we know that that's all made possible. It's all made possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so, Lord, we say thank you for sending your only son to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Thank you for taking our place, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we can identify with you. And, Lord, that we can be one with you as you're one with your Father, even as you pray, Jesus. said, Lord, may they be one as we are one. And so, Lord, we ask, God, that you would please bless us as we remember what you did for us on the cross. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.